What I love about a 100-year plan is that it really creates perspective in terms of what's important and what is not. It actually helps you problem solve, I think, a lot better too, because you think about it in a 100-year lens context. How much more important is it or less important is it? Welcome to the Free From Wall Street podcast, where we share how we have done over $200 million in real estate deals to create, preserve, and pass on generational wealth without the roller coaster ride of the stock market. If you're ready to start investing with purpose, visit freefromwallstreet.com. But for now, let's dive into this episode. All right, welcome back to the Free From Wall Street podcast. My name is Stephen Libman. I'm your host. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Hope you're finding some value. If you're watching online, yes, I was out in the pool all weekend and got fried. When you move close to the equator, you should sunblock more than I did, clearly. Anyway, today we're going to talk about 100-year legacy planning. So my quarterly rock this quarter is a 100-year legacy plan for both the business, our family, and our donor-advised fund. So pretty manageable task, right? No, not even a little bit. What I find most interesting about the 100-year conversation is that I know a lot of great entrepreneurs that have created wealth for themselves and their families, but frankly haven't done the hard work and the undertaking that it takes to preserve your wealth over time. Now, I'm reading an amazing book right now. Thank you, uh, Russ Morgan from Free From Wall Street. The book is Entrusted building a legacy that lasts. And there's a few key takeaways just from the beginning of the book that I want to point out, which is one, we build a roaring fire, right? And if you use the fire analogy for your wealth, you build a roaring fire. And then at the end of your life, you split up that fire and you give three smaller, I have three kids. So three smaller fires to these kids. What happens when you leave them alone with it? It goes out. Of course it does. You haven't taught them how to find, chop wood, create kindling, oxygenate the fire, light the fire. And it was just such an aha moment for me. And I think a lot of people do this. No, I know a lot of people do this where they create wealth. They do not talk about money in the family because it's whatever, rude, disrespectful, just something we don't talk about, but they're not involved in the plan. Right? And this entrusted methodology is very much of involving your kids in the plan so that when you're gone, you are confident that they're carrying on what you want your legacy to be. So many times we know that parents do not involve their kids in the money conversation. And then when they die, you just split up the wealth and you hope that they do well with it. Sometimes I've seen some complicated tax or some complicated strategies like my dad did when he passed away, which was, okay, so you'll get a third of the wealth in five years, and you'll get another third in another five years, and another third in another five years. Well, why are they doing that, right? I mean, what's the, the purpose of this? I'm sure you've seen trusts and estates that distribute this way. And it's typically because they're afraid, right? Your parents are afraid. Parents in general are afraid to give wealth to their kids all in one lump sum. What's going to happen to them, right? Maybe they will... I don't know, become irresponsible with the money, right? Maybe they'll waste it. Maybe they'll gamble it. Maybe there's addiction issues in the family. Maybe they will invest it and actually make more money with it. Whoa, what a concept. But it's never talked about, right? The will doesn't come to the kids and say, this is what I expect you to do with the money that I'm entrusting you with. It is just here it is, right? And you pray that they make their own good decisions, but that's not planning, 
right? <laughs> it's it's actually, I think, one of the worst things that you could do and one of the worst ways that you could burden your kids. You know, if you create wealth in your life, you're worried about trust fund babies and kids that have like this entitlement issue. But ironically, the parents won't talk to the kids about those issues. Like, hey, I'm worried that you're going to get this money. You're going to be entitled. Or I'm worried that you're going to get this money and it's going to create problems in your life instead of benefit, which is what we want. So anyway, great book. I'll put the link in. Go get it if you haven't already read it. It's a great just perspective shifter on what we're doing with our legacy. So my kids are too young to start talking about this stuff with them. They understand that we invest, right? They understand what investment is. <laughs> I mean, I got invited to come into the kindergarten class to talk about my job. Like, what do you talk about when you're a private equity fund manager or you buy real estate and commercial real estate stuff? Like, it's difficult for kids to understand that. So I, I read a great book called The Little Red Hen to them. If you haven't read it in a long time, I understand. I'll give you the overview. The red hen is the one who's doing all the work, right? She's going out into the field. She's planting the wheat. She's gathering the wheat. And throughout the book, she's asking her friends if they will come and help her. They're always being lazy. They're not helping. They're not plowing the field, spinning the, the flour. And eventually she ends up baking a cake. But she has to do it all on her own. And at the end of the book, she, all of the people are sniffing around her cake. And they're like, hey, I want to get a piece of that cake. She's like, no, you didn't put in the time, the effort, and the energy, right? And I just related that to investing. That's what investing is. Over time, you end up with a cake. Other people don't because you took the long view and you started to invest. Oh, and I think the most interesting part of what I did in that class was I walked in. I had a sleeve, you know, a sleeve of Oreos or whatever. And I said, okay, who would like one Oreo right now? right? Or you can wait until the end of the class and I'll give you two Oreos at the end of class. And half the kids raised their hand. They said they want the Oreo now, right? And then the other half of the class, they waited until we were done with the story and then they got two Oreos and guess what they did? They invested and now they're... So hopefully it made a little bit of an impact. But my point in this is we're not involving our kids in a very long discussion about money right now. I have a fourth grader, a kindergartner and a baby, right? So, but what we are doing, right? And Entrusted talks about this is we're involving them in part of our legacy planning, which is showing. So, legacy planning is also adhering to your own core values while you're here on earth and showing your kids how to do that, right? So, we were going to involve them in the charity piece of things. And it's such an easy way to introduce them to the concept of philanthropy. So, we yeah, and you can do it with any dollar amount you want. But we said, hey, we're gonna we're gonna donate a thousand dollars to charities of your choice. And my five year old chose gorillas. She wants to help the primates. My eight year old is super empathetic, and she knows that I love sea turtles. So she wants to give a hundred dollars to the sea turtle rescue here on Hilton Head. And uh, and we'll pick some other charities too, right? Some book bags for kids that needed them before they went back to school and stuff. But what a great tangible lesson to teach them about, oh, one of our family's core values is giving and involve them in that so that they can get some benefit from it as well. So there's so many things within the charity world that you can do. Like, you know, I can't wait till my kids are a little bit older just so they can do what my wife and I used to do when we were um, first married, just, just go to Habitat. You know, they'll just go to Habitat for Humanity. They're building a house. They'll give you, there's a form in there. They'll give you hammers and nails and tell you what to do. And you can just go and help and get your hands dirty. It's amazing. I have another friend of mine 
who takes his kids down to either Mexico or Guatemala, I forget which, and they, they build houses for communities that don't have them. Really cool stuff. Anyway, so the legacy piece of this, right, is core values as a family, writing it down. And then after that, like, how do you build that plan so that it's carried out by your kids even after you're gone? There's a great quote. An inheritance is what is left. A legacy is who it's left to. And if you are building the legacy, you're building the character of the people that you're leaving your inheritance to. Because if it gets left to the wrong person, it's squandered anyway. So who cares what you've left if it doesn't go to who, the who matters here, right? So anyway, how do we also give, right? So we have our donor advised fund, as you guys know, go to the invest with purpose page where you can see kind of the nonprofits that we're helping out through the business. And well, what happens when the business is gone, right? We're not going to live forever. So what happens when I die? Like, does the giving continue? How do we commit to other nonprofits that just because I'm gone, the checks won't stop coming if it's an organization that's going to be around for a long time? So that's an interesting question to pose, right? How are we going to continue giving through a donor advised fund when no more real estate deals are going to be getting done within our active funds? So we'll circle back with you on kind of what we come up with, because I'm just talking to you guys about what we're looking at right now. I do not have solutions to all of this stuff. It is my quarterly rock. We're about halfway through the quarter. So I've made good headway. And like most good rocks do, they pose more questions than answers. So we have been meeting with CLA, meeting with estate planners, trusts, like there's all these different things to do. You know, I saw it was amazing. My, My dad had stuff in a trust and then. He passed away and the trust was dissolved so that they could split up the inheritance. Well, that doesn't make any sense. The whole point of creating a trust is so that it passes on through the trust. But nobody knew that, right? Just him and his estate planner probably came up with that. And who knows who that was? It wasn't written down explicitly in a will. So, and then, so you have your, and then the business, right? How does the business continue on? If you ne- if you don't plan on selling the business and having an exit, you know, what if you build a company like GE, right? When the CEO dies, the company doesn't go away. So what's the legacy planning for the business as well? So business, family, donor advised fund is kind of what we're looking at. How do we perpetuate those things? And the hundred year plan is kind of where we start thinking about it. What I love about a hundred year plan is that it really creates perspective in terms of what's important and what is not. It actually helps you problem solve, I think, a lot better too, because you think about it in a hundred year lens context, how much, how much more important is it or less important is it? Like very easy question. I was like, will this matter in a hundred years? I mean, you'll be shocked at how many times you say no, because, and then it just helps you kind of disengage from that emotion. Like, oh man, I'm worked up about this one thing. Will it matter in a hundred years? No, forget it. Move on. Right. Don't let it eat up so much of your time and energy, create anxiety in your life. So I like this idea of a hundred year plan. Consultants come in all the time and they talk about three year plan, five year plan, maybe a 10 year plan, right? But a hundred year legacy plan. And thank you very much, Sharon Shrivatsa, who's, who kind of came up with this idea and you can listen to his podcast too. It's called business school. He's brilliant teacher, wonderful at taking complex concepts and whittling them down to very simplistic ideals and how to implement them. But this hundred year plan, I think, you know, when you look at all of the problems in your life, all of the solutions in your life, when you start looking at stuff through a hundred year plan, it really changes the perspective. And now we're thinking about whole life insurance policies for the kids, right? Um, If you haven't read uh, The Infinite Banking Concept by R. Nelson Nash, it's a completely different financial strategy. So do not go ask your insurance agent, like, should I buy whole life 
most people will agree that whole life is a bad investment unless a very specific strategy is applied to whole life. And that's called the infinite banking concept. The boys over at wealth.wallstreet do it. We have some investors that do it. Like there's, we have a few contacts. If you need them, reach out to us. We'll be happy to give you three referrals of uh, people that are in that space. But read the book. The whole point of what I was saying is that now we have life insurance policies for us, right? That's great. And what about our kids? And why would you start overfunding insurance policies when your two-year-old is two? Well, the reason is, is you can borrow against that whole life insurance policy cash value and invest it into whatever you want, right? So if you have a retirement plan, you can invest that into whatever you want. A whole life insurance plan, you can. So you borrow against it. It now has a death benefit and a significant cash flow component in retirement that you can borrow against, put it into other assets, and you kind of get to make your money work in two places for you. So so that's cool. What if we do that for our kids for the next 18 years? And then by the time they're 18, they have a lump sum of money where they can go and say, okay, I'm going to borrow against this policy and they can be their own bank. I think actually that's the name of the book, not infinite banking concept, but becoming your own banker is the concept. I'll have some guys on the next couple of weeks come on and talk to us about this. Um, I have in the past too, but always good to be uh, reminded. So when your son or daughter or whatever is 18, they can go against this policy and they can borrow against it. They can be the bank. They can borrow that money for college, which I think is a probably waning investment at this point, but I digress. They can borrow against it to pay them for themselves to go to college. They can pay for themselves to go to trade school. They can pay for themselves to go buy a house, right? And that is the benefit of being the bank, right? Creating a family bank through these things really starts to get interesting because if you look up the statistics of what you will pay in interest over your life between your homes, between your cars, between your credit cards, it is staggering. So it's not to say don't use leverage, but if you were borrowing from yourself and you were becoming the bank, how much more wealth would you build in how much shorter of a time? And that's what's really interesting about using those types of plans. So we're looking at a lot of this different stuff. As we continue to implement these things, we'll give periodic updates, if that's okay with you guys, so that we can tell you what's working, what are we seeing, how was the implementation process, right? Some of these things are hairy to get involved in, but once you're in, it's super easy. Some of them are super easy to get into, and then the further down the road you get, they're super hairy. So anyway, 100-year legacy plan. I'm going to drop a link in, in the show notes here where you can go... And this is from another capital company. I'm not sure who put it together, but it's uh, I just found it on Google. I just Googled in 100-year legacy plan. And this little worksheet came up, and I'm going to share it with you guys. You can click on it and kind of look through it. It starts with core values and just some questions to start asking yourself. And I think a lot of that self-reflection will reveal to you what you want to do in terms of legacy planning and where you need to go and how you need to pursue other professionals and things like that. So hopefully this is helpful for you guys. 100-year legacy plan. Don't go and worry about creating a bunch of wealth if it's just going to get squandered when you're dead, right? Cool. Thanks for joining me. I always appreciate it. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Free From Wall Street podcast. If you like what you hear, leave us a rating and review and let us know what you think. 